Okay, well, we're in Psalm 130. Uh, the background to this psalm is a sense of guilt. You'll notice that if you just scan through Psalm 130. Notice some of the words that appear in this psalm. Um, mercy, sin, iniquity, forgiveness, redemption. Here is a psalm where the background is guilt and where there's a longing for forgiveness. So as we begin this morning, let me ask you, do you know a sense of guilt in your life? There are, of course, lots of different kinds of guilt, aren't there? Um, Sometimes people talk about mum guilt. Um, I'm sure dad guilt is possible as well. But um, apparently mums tend to feel guilty that they've never done enough for their kids as they should have done. Maybe you've heard of mum guilt and you feel that. Um, Sometimes people speak of survivor guilt, uh, where you've been through an ordeal, maybe a horrible accident, tragedy, and you survived and you think, I shouldn't have survived. I've survived, I shouldn't have. It should have been me. Not them. Survivor guilt. Um, Some people deal with something called a guilt complex where you always feel guilty. Um, You feel like, oh, I'll never, ever be good enough. Well, today we want to speak about a special kind of guilt, the experience of guilt before God. Do you know that experience? Um, One Christian counsellor conducts a little informal survey every year. And he tells his students, go and talk to a Christian, go and ask them if they feel guilty. And he records that his students return, and about 85% of those who are having conversations find that the Christians they're meeting feel guilty. Wow. He reckons the rest are either totally cold-hearted or either are having a peculiarly good day. Uh, The point is that the feeling of guilt is very common, isn't it? And so, therefore, what this psalm has to say to us this morning is is critical for us. Now, you might think, Ollie, I understood it when you talked about those other kinds of guilt. But guilt before God, that's really hard, isn't it? I mean, I don't see God to know that I've I've hurt him. Um, You know, I just, that's very hard, isn't it? Well, let me say, there are moments when God wakes up our consciences to where we're at with him. I think of your relationships, for example, maybe... You had one of those blazing rows again. Maybe you feel that sense of regret again. Or maybe you've just realised how much you've, you've pained someone. And as we think deeply about our relationships, as we go deeper, it reminds us the problem in our heart and that our problem with God. Think on our relationship problems, do a survey of our recent relationship issues, and we'll find the problems we have with God, where we're at with him. Or take suffering, for example. Suffering often wakes us up, wakes our consciences up. Instinctively, we know that suffering in the world is a result of sin. We sort of, we know that, we get that, don't we? And so when we suffer, we we wake up, we reflect on our life choices, on that sense of brokenness before God. So wherever wherever you are, if you're one of the 85% of people who say, I feel guilty, or whether you're not, time will come when we realise that our relationship with God is, is broken and we feel a sense of guilt. I think that's the context of this psalm. You'll notice a little title to Psalm 130. It's called A Song of Ascent, which I think means this psalm is part of a little collection and we're supposed to read it in order and see it in its particular place. So it follows a psalm where someone says, greatly have they been afflicted. It follows a psalm of suffering. So I think in Psalm 129, the psalmist is crying out to the Lord. He's in suffering, but at the same time he's wakened up to Actually, how can I call upon the name of the Lord? 
I'm a rebel. But in this psalm, the psalmist cries to the Lord, but also finds a confidence with him. Do you want that? Well, journey with me, please, through this psalm and find what we need for our guilt. Four things to notice. And the first one is, notice firstly, the cry in verses one and two. Read with me, look, verse one. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. This psalm begins and the person in it, it feels like they're at the bottom of a deep hole. In the deeps, in the depths. It's like this psalm starts at the bottom of the ocean. That's a real image of adversity and trouble, isn't it? We shouldn't be at the bottom of oceans, should we? Human beings aren't supposed to be there. Now, it's an image, actually, of the judgment of God. Think of the Bible, think of Noah, for example. The days of Noah, God judged the world by submerging it in water. Or think of the prophet Jonah, the runaway rebel, and what did God do? Threw him down into the depths. Here's a picture of a psalmist who just feels totally alienated from God. In, in ancient thinking, that, that, that the depths was near the, the place of death, near Shale, the place of the grave. It really is a terrible place. One Bible scholar says, Bible scholar says, to be in the depths is to be near despair, to be floundering in terror where neither self-help nor self-pity can help you, only a cry to the Lord. And so that's what we've got here, isn't it? Notice this cry to the Lord. The Lord is who we need in our guilt. The Lord is central in this. You'll notice Just scan down at the psalm. It's made of four couplets, four pairs. And you'll notice in every pair, the name of the Lord comes up twice. He is the focus. He is who is important. And notice here the weight. The weight of the sin and the need for mercy leads to crying out to God. You see, here in this psalm, our guilt isn't something to be hushed up. It gets cried aloud. You notice at the beginning of the psalm, it starts, I cry to you. It feels maybe private and personal. But at the end of the psalm, we find, actually, the psalmist, oh, Israel, hope in the Lord. He's talking to an audience. They're talking to an audience. Maybe the first thing we need to ask ourselves this morning as we think on this psalm is, do we speak openly of our need for mercy and for forgiveness? My sense is if we're not talking about it openly amongst ourselves, maybe we're struggling to go to God too. In the New Testament, there's this wonderful sense of confessing our sins to God, yes, and and to one another as well. Because sin tends to weigh worse in secrecy, doesn't it? But this psalmist calls to the Lord. And it may be for some of us this morning, we carry a secret guilt around with us. And if that's you... There's a challenge here, isn't there? Bring it out into the open. Bring it before the Lord. Bring it to him. And that's the thing here, isn't it? You see, actually, it, it's, it's the Lord. It's, it's, it's his holiness that creates our guilt in the first place, isn't it? You know, if God were, were not holy, if he hadn't made a good world, if he hadn't made a world expecting it to, to mirror his glory and his beauty and his goodness, If God wasn't like that, I suppose our behaviour wouldn't matter so much, would it? But our our sin and our guilt matter so much because God hates it. It's repugnant to him. 
And of course, it's a tragedy in our world. We hurt people, we hurt others. But our sin and guilt matter mostly before God. And I hope you see that this morning because it's actually shocking and surprising. Because here's the God whose holiness, in a sense, creates our guilt. But his holiness is also the reason why this psalmist comes to him in the first place. You see here, this psalmist believes under the surface of this psalm that God isn't just holy and so my sins and offence him, but he's so holy, he's so other than me. So beautiful, so compassionate that he's drawn to God. And so he calls out. And I take it he does that because he's expecting a reply. You know, maybe when you're at home and you, you crawl, call out to one of your neighbours, hey, I'm going to the shops, do you fancy anything? Can you hear me? You know, when you cry out like that, you, you do it expecting an answer, don't you? Lord, will you hear me? My, my cries for mercy. This psalmist expects that the Lord is listening and attentive and ready to answer. So let me ask you, are you feeling guilty today? I suspect you may be. Well, hear this. Good news. Our guilt does not have to be hushed up. In fact, it'd be better if it wasn't. Good news. God is listening. He's attentive. He hears our cries for mercy. The Lord is listening and ready. For real. Oh, yeah. Look at number two in this psalm, right? Look at number two. The cry's motivation. Look at this cry's motivation in verses three to four. The psalmist cries out to God because he knows what God is like. Look at that in verses three and four. The psalmist says, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. The psalmist says, look, Lord, Lord, if you marked our iniquity, who could stand? Lord, if you pointed out and kept a record of all the ways in which we're bent out of shape, we're broken. We don't love you like we should. We don't love others like, like we should. If you kept a record of that, if you kept a record, Lord, of all the ways we fall short of your glory and your intent and your, what, you, what you meant for us, well, we'd never stand in your place of blessing. We'd never stand before your throne of justice. We could never think to be anywhere near you. But notice the if here. If. If. Lord, you did that, then we could never stand. And the implication is, if you did that, we can never stand. But, but, but you don't. The psalmist knows here that God offers unmerited forgiveness. That God is the God who acts out of grace and mercy. That he would so act not to record our sin, that he wouldn't attach it to us, but attach it to another. And so what motivates this cry to God is who he is. With him, this psalm says, is forgiveness. Now, I think this is absolutely critical for us this morning. Because I think when we wrestle with guilt in our lives, we don't, we don't think about God and we say, oh, yes, God, with God there is forgiveness. I think we hold prejudices against God that fly in the face of this psalm. I think so often we don't move toward God with our guilt, but we run away from him. I think our tendency is to think that God is impatient or fed up or annoyed with us. We treat God as if he's just like us. I think we think God is like us and our ovens. 
forgive this illustration. It may just be me, but anyway. Uh, imagine you've had a long day and you put the oven on and will it get to temperature? No. You get the food out, still cold in the middle. Come on, stupid oven, I'm hungry. I need to eat. I need you oven to deliver for me. I spent hundreds of pounds on you. Okay, yeah, it was a few years ago, mine, but come on, I need my dinner. Stand and deliver, oven. Now, I think that we think that God is like that with us. We think God is sitting there thinking, I need you to be good. And when we, when we aren't, when we don't come up to standard and fail, we think God is annoyed because, well, what did he make us for anyway? We feel like God is saying to us, I need you to deliver. And so we're dis- disappointed. Now, of course, our sin is an offence to God, isn't it? But he's, he's not annoyed with us as if he needed his dinner. And he's frustrated that he won't get his dinner on time. No, God didn't make us like a dinner that he needs. He didn't make us because he had to. God made us out of the overflow of his love and his grace and his mercy. His intent was to display his glory. And so with him, there is forgiveness. It's who he is. God is already overflowing with love and mercy towards you. So see this. See see how radical this is to what we suspect of God. God is not, God's resting state towards us isn't frustration. He didn't make us and then get frustrated with us. God's resting state towards us is not based on our performance. It's not resting irritability. He's not expecting a good bit of contrition. God acts out of his character. God acts out of who he is. And his resting state towards us is grace and mercy and forgiveness. You see, God in all his perfection wants away with his wrath so much that he would attach it to himself instead of to us. That's who he is. The book of Colossians puts it like this in chapter 2. It says, you Christians, you, you who are dead in your trans, trans sorry, You who were dead in your trespasses, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So do you see, friends, today, you may be feeling guilty, but it may be today that your biggest problem isn't your guilt but our poor view of how gracious God is. No, no, you say, well, that's, that's not me. Of course it's not me. Well, let me ask you. Do you ever say, or do you ever skip reading your Bible because of your sense of guilt? Do you ever miss church or a small group because you feel a failure? you run away from conversations for fear someone might ask you how you're doing and that guilt might come to the surface you run away from grace church coffee time might be other reasons for doing that of course do you find yourself prayerless because of how low you feel about your performance my friend if you answered yes to any of those the chances that's a sign you're believing the wrong things about god 
Because if you knew God the way the psalmist does here, it wouldn't cause you to run away from God in all those sorts of ways. It would cause you to run to him. Knowing he hears, knowing he forgives, confident in his answer. So what do I do about this? What do I do if I figure, yeah, maybe I do have some prejudices and I've got God wrong. What, what might I do? Well, let me suggest a few practical things. You could read a good Christian book about how good God is. One book that's been very highly regarded recently, Dana Ortland's book, Gentle and Lowly. Maybe you could get, get a copy of that and go and read that book. Or maybe you could find a, a copy of the Christian classic, J.I. Packer's Knowing God. It's weighty. Maybe you'll take your time through it. Maybe find a partner to read it with. Maybe you could do that. Maybe you could ask someone at Grace Church, hey, can I do Christianity Explored with you again? I just need to remember God's grace. Or maybe discipleship explored. Hey, I'd just love to do that. Or maybe you could ask for prayer from a friend. Say, can we encourage each other, pray, remind each other of God's grace? Maybe you could do that. Or maybe you could take Psalm 130 as a platform for prayer. Use it morning and night for however long it takes. Now, some of you are thinking, okay, Ollie, I get it. But what about that fear stuff there in this passage? Look at verse four. But with you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Now, we thought about this fear language in the Bible a, f- a few weeks ago. Um, asked, check, check someone's listening. Um, no, I'm only joking. Um, look. Look at verse four again. The psalm says, but with you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. This fear can't be terror. It can't be alarm. Because that stuff goes down when there's forgiveness. It doesn't increase. This fear here isn't merely a sort of reverence, but it's about relationship. This fear is the trembling at the wonder and beauty of a God who forgives sinners. It's trembling in wonder at the bridegroom who lays down his life for the sheep. So, friends, this is what God wants of us this morning. A knee-knocking wonder at his love and forgiveness for us because we know who he is. And we're confident in who he is. We have a knowledge of him that freely allows us wonderfully to call on him for forgiveness. Now, sometimes we've learned, I think, as Christians, I I need to resolve my guilt. But I feel like I have to do that through an experience. So I need to reconnect with God and, and, and then maybe I can be, get forgiveness. I need to get a, a spiritual top up through some sort of experience. Notice here what God wants. He wants us to know him. He wants us to know what he's like. So what we need in the end isn't some artistry or some musicality, as wonderful as those things are and as much as I love them. What we need is not a new musical experience to know we're forgiven. What we need is more like an eye surgeon. To see and know who God is. He's the one so gracious, he doesn't count our sins against us. But he counted them against Jesus. And so we can find confidence and hope. Now notice that thirdly in our passage then. Notice the psalmist speak of his own hope or his his own hope. Excuse me, in verses five and six. Look how the psalmist speaks. Verse five. I'll wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchman for the morning. More than watchman for the morning. 
Notice how the language piles up here. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits for the Lord, my innermost being. And in his word, I hope. I am hoping for a word from the Lord that declares I'm forgiven. Now, if you're not a Christian here this morning, you might think that sounds a bit weird. In fact, you might even think that sounds like an absolute nightmare. I mean, seriously, waiting around for some sort of deity to declare that I'm forgiven, that sounds totally miserable. Well, let me say, I don't think it's miserable at all. In fact, I think all all other kinds of guilt leave us miserable. I think this actually frees us up wonderfully. Consider with me a few examples. We can feel in our lives guilt with shame. Where we know that others know our failures. Where we feel sort of unclean. And you feel like you've got everyone's eyes on you all the time. And you don't know how to feel better about yourself. Feeling that kind of guilt is pretty miserable, isn't it? You can feel guilty with people that you've displeased someone or you will displease someone or they're going to be displeased with you and I'll never live up to them and so I feel miserable. You can feel guilty just by being human. As you reflect on your life, you tell yourself, I should have done more. I'm a failure. We say, I should have a hundred, a thousand times over in a myriad of different ways. And we feel miserable. But do you see here in this psalm, here is, here is someone in the very depths. And they don't feel miserable. They cry to God for mercy. They see their guilt before him and they cry to him for mercy. They turn to God. You see, knowing your guilt is first and foremost before the Lord frees you up to appeal for mercy in the one place it can be found. And when we found mercy with him, it transforms all our other relationships See, freed of my guilt before God, I'm free to pursue forgiveness in all sorts of ways, in all sorts of areas of my life. It's not some terrifying, uncertain way for a potentially cruel God. No. Look at verse 6. The psalmist says, my soul waits for the Lord more than watchman for the morning. More than watchman for the morning. The psalmist waits like a watchman. Now we have to get this image in our head, don't we? Uh, The watchman waits on the city wall. um, And that wait through the night can seem endless, waiting to see if there are any threats that they might have to ring the bell for, or or wait for a messenger that might come in the night and lower the drawbridge, this kind of image. It might seem endless, dark. Yet the thing about being a watchman is that you know with great certainty that morning will come. Morning is sure. Might take some time, but it is certain. You see, the psalmist says, I am confident. My forgiveness is assured as surely as night follows day will my guilt be done away with. Now you say, Ollie, that is ludicrous. How can anyone have that kind of confidence? Well, look again at those verses and let me say something else about the imagery here. You see, this image of the sun rising on a new day and night being done away with, it's not just an image of something that's certain to happen, a new morning. It's also a picture that points to the resurrection. In the Bible, the dawning of a new day and the end of the deathly dark of night points to resurrection. And so this picture reminds us that we can be confident in forgiveness. 
our sins have been counted to Jesus. And as they were laid on his shoulders, the world turned dark. And he was laid in the tomb in the darkness of night. And he carried my sin with him. And so so to know if we're forgiven, we have to see the dawning of a new day. We have to see life come from that tomb to know that the sin has been dealt with and finished and it's gone and left behind. We have to see the punishment fully made and have no hangover. We need to know death is fully and finally expunged and that all that is left is resurrection. And that's what we see on Easter morning, isn't it? You see, as Jesus was raised, forgiveness of sins was preached to all nations. The waiting in this psalm was over. Morning has come. That's why we can be confident that our sins are forgiven. And so look, lastly, the psalm turns and speaks to us and encourages us and tries to give the community hope. The community's hope is there, isn't it, in verses 7 and 8. Look with me at the encouragement in these last verses. Verse 7. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. The ending of this psalm really has moved from a cry for mercy to confidence in forgiveness, hasn't it? This psalmist now speaks and tells everyone, hey, hope in the Lord. There's forgiveness with him. This ending isn't shut in gloom, but telling others of hope in God. It has moved from death and depths to resurrection life and light, the dawning of the new day. And the psalmist says, hope in the Lord, for in the Lord is steadfast love. This means that God is faithful to his promises, that he never lets us down. With him is plentiful redemption. It's spelled out in verse 8. God's redemption is so extravagant that it removes all and every iniquity. Every sin is covered. The Lord's forgiveness meets every need and his love is ever unchanging and ever unfailing. God has found a satisfactory ransom price for you and for all of you. No wonder Jesus could walk around and speak very clearly and say, your sins are forgiven. Jesus knew what it would take to forgive sins, but he knew what he would do and he knew what the Lord would do. And so I think Jesus looks through these verses and speaks to us here too and says, no, hope in me. Your sins, every one of them, is forgiven. It is left in the grave. There is plentiful redemption with me. Give your sin and your shame to me. So here's encouragement for us. Some of us here this morning are carrying our sin and our guilt tightly in our grip. Well, this passage says, hope in the Lord. Don't stay in hopelessness. Hope in the Lord. Don't hope in other things, my efforts, my contrition. Hope in the Lord. Mercy is found in him. In him, there really is forgiveness. I mentioned this little survey at the beginning that found 85% of Christians feel guilty. And some of us will be feeling guilty this morning, perhaps guilty before God. 
perhaps guilty before others. Well, this psalm says to us, doesn't it? Our guilt, our guilt first and foremost, is before the Lord. But with him, there is forgiveness. Rock solid forgiveness. One person who knew this was the famous reformer, Martin Luther. And we'll end with some of his words. He said this, Christian, when the devil throws your sins in your face and declares that you deserve death and hell, tell him this, I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it? For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, son of God. And where he is, there I shall be also. Shall we pray? As we bow our heads, ask yourself this. Uh, What kind of guilt do I feel at the moment? Who do I feel it toward? What am I going to do with it? And perhaps ask yourself most of all, how does my view of God need to change? So that I can pray like this psalm. Let's pray. Loving Father, thank you for this cry for mercy. Thank you for how it turns to confidence and hope. Our loving Father, thank you that with you there is mercy and not misery. Father, thank you that we can be so confident of our forgiveness, confident as day follows night. Thank you for the joy of resurrection day. Thank you that we know that our sin has been cast far from us as far as the east is from the west. Father, thank you that this psalm tells me that your forgiveness is plentiful for me. And so, Father, we pray that we would know deeply who you are. That with you, unlike all others in all the world, there is a holy forgiveness and an extravagant love for sinners. So we praise your holy name. Amen.